This is Overture, the Prelude Podcast. Welcome to the Prelude Podcast. My name is Christopher Willis, and I'm a principal security researcher here at Prelude. Hi, and I'm Alex Manners. I'm a principal security engineer at Prelude, and I do the security engineering lead function as well. We wanted to start off the podcast by talking a little bit about how we want to structure our podcast going into 2022. This year, we want to focus less on Prelude as a company and the products that we have and really dive deep into cybersecurity as a whole and everything that falls underneath that. So offensive, defensive security, training, uh, career development, anything that has to do with the cybersecurity domain. We want to focus on that more than what we're focusing on in the company specifically. Yeah, we definitely have a lot of content that we can focus on in just infosec, career development, building small business, uh, FOSS projects that we've worked on in the past, and occasional nerdy outside of all of those realm type things that we find interesting. But we also, because of the backgrounds of people in our, our company and the, the types of people we're trying to get onto this podcast as speakers and guests, I think that lets us shift our focus away from uh, just Prelude as a company. And it makes this a more approachable, accessible type of podcast for people. Yeah. And and this allows us to, to kind of uh, get into some more nitty gritty topics and really dive in to some of the security topics that I know we want to cover this year. Um, and then I think, too, you know, a, a big part of what we wanted to accomplish uh, this year is to invite more people to our podcast um, and also getting the more of the voice of, of Prelude. Right. So like getting all of our staff to, to if they want to be on the podcast, uh, to get them on the podcast and, and, and let's talk about uh, security interests that interest them. So. Um, yeah, I, what, like, I think one of our most popular podcasts to date was actually the one that was not even cybersecurity related. It was just career growth and and uh, the background of SoCanU and everything that went into building that company and the, the, the knowledge that we have as a result of like our leadership building that type of company in the past. Yeah, that podcast did really well for us. And I think some of that had to do with the fact that we had that as a video podcast. And as we move forward into... 2022, I'd really like to see us do more video podcasts, and I'm sure we'll end up doing that. But as we move forward, I think that we'll focus less on Prelude itself, and we'll focus more on cybersecurity in general. Yeah. Uh, at, in that vein, um, in this podcast, I think we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of the past and a little bit of the future here. So uh, on the docket today, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the big hacks of 2021. Uh, no real hard, fast details on what we're going to cover in that area, but we'll just kind of go with the flow. And then we're going to look forwards, and Chris and I have come up with some predictions for what we think is going to go down in 2022. Some serious, some less so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also we're going to select an area and an idea, each of us, that we think we would like to see more of in 2022 out of the cybersecurity industry or infosec industry at large. Uh, so yeah. So yeah, that's a soft intro to what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, so I thought, you know, it would be cool to talk about the the hacks of 2021 and the uh the the big what I think is like the big four that happened last year and just to kind of like, you know, I think that there's there's some predictability 
there. Um, and so I thought it would be cool to, to, to talk about uh, some of the things that happened last year. And maybe that ties into what it, what our predictions are for, for next year <laughs> or for this year, yeah. I should say. Um, so um, the first one that came to mind was the Colonial Pipeline. Uh, and, uh, you know, the co Colonial Pipeline stuff, what's interesting about it for me um, is that not only was it, a, you know, a ransomware attack that was um, obviously went went against our, our U.S. East Coast infrastructure, uh, but also the human aspect of it where people just kind of freaked out and didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And even though that you may not have been affected by the colonial pipeline attack uh, or areas that weren't affected by it, uh, you still had this panic. Um, yeah. You know, my, my father's in the, the into oil and natural gas and... Uh, he noticed the uptick, even though uh, in his area it wasn't uh, a, a factor, right? Um, even yeah. though it was on the East Coast, still people were freaking out about uh, being able to get oil into their cars, um, <laughs> even though they weren't even going to the same pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I live in that area, and I, I can say the, everywhere was sold out. I yeah. mean, there were lines, and... What really interests me is not even the cybersecurity side of this, because I mean that is interesting. No, don't get me wrong, but I think that's kind of been hammered to death in terms of technical detail. Something that interests me a lot about it is the implications of the, like how the media handled it, and how that almost, in my opinion, seemingly plays into a larger like influence operation, information operation campaign, and and what could happen if a threat actor used like just even pushing fake news about a massive pipeline attack the types of national level impacts that they could have as a result of that and just thinking through that whole problem set um it's kind of it's kind of scary to me that hey they, they didn't actually get access to the the industrial control system itself it wasn't it was administrative networks which is a big deal i'm not trying to minimize that but the larger implication is people heard pipeline hack, uh-oh, no oil, and news cycle picks that up, and we we essentially did it to ourselves. Yeah, we did. We, <laughs> we did created the, uh, this. What was it? The the uh, like back in the what was it? The thirties or forties? The uh, War of the Worlds uh, radio. Yeah, sort of. That's sort of goes down parallel. the same path where people just freaked out and didn't know what to do, and were fearful that they couldn't get to their jobs because they didn't have uh, gas in their cars. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it, it, well, there's that, I forget what it is or what the background on it is, but you have that, that general rule where the whole world is basically three days of food away from chaos. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's kind of that same concept here where it, as soon as people realized, oh, oh, I might not be able to have gas for my car, it's the, the snake that eats its own tail. We like, we just go out and it starts a snowball effect. Yeah. And, and, and putting myself into the shoes of a, a threat actor like Russia or China, Iran, I see the outputs of that type of campaign. Right. And I see what impacts, I didn't have to do anything. I now as a government that targets the U S know the impact that I can have by not even actually taking down a pipeline. 
Like I just have to get onto a tangential network and get American news cycle to pick up pipeline and hack. Yep. <laughs> and it does itself. Like it takes care of the rest, take care of itself. Yeah. In a lot of ways we hurt ourselves in that people complaining yeah. about how much uh, the cost of gas went up during that, that, that time. That was all because of people just being fearful that they couldn't get gas. It wasn't that there was a stoppage at the line and yeah. And that, the oil wasn't going through the pipeline. It was just that people just freaked out and they bought yeah. as much as they could. Um, and then people <laughs> like, then the, then you had this whole other section. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but the whole thing with the, the U S government trying to tell people like, don't go and fill up like trash bags with oil <laughs> uh, because that won't work. <laughs> yeah. Um, and doing pu public service announcements to tell people to like the right way to fill up a, a like extra tank. <laughs> yeah. I, I think this kind of creates a very interesting question that we as a nation don't really have an answer to. We as the US, I say nation. Um, how can we accurately convey to people the impacts that some of these attacks can have and when they legitimately should be concerned and when they shouldn't be and how how do we even begin to communicate with people effectively when we as an infosec community can barely communicate effectively internally yeah so i think there's a lot of growing pains and and we'll get to this when we do our 2022 predictions moving forwards i think we're gonna see more of this kind of stuff and it's gonna be really interesting to see how national organizations like cisa approach handling the like the media and comms around these types of incidents because i think what it ultimately boils down to in terms of protecting society is a lot of managing communications mm -hmm. and making sure people have accurate and clear information along with accurate and clear levels of hey you should be x amount of worried right right <laughs> um hey don't go out and panic buy gas i mean some people just won't trust the government but largely like hey you don't need to panic and freak out and go buy gas because the gas is still there the company is doing a good job at recovering from this attack you'll be fine like how how can we get that type of message out to people and then how can we make sure that it, that that message is actually accurate, right? Those are two interesting questions in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I think from a technical level, um, from the Colonial Pipeline stuff, one thing that really, that really stood out, and this has been the problem with cybersecurity and, and honestly data science in general, is that the data was there from the beginning, uh, but the... Um, the parsing of that data and being able to get to that data quickly and effectively was not there. And so I think one of the things that uh, if you're if you're out there, you're looking for things to do, uh, figure out a way to better aggregate data, um, especially for a large, large amount of data. Um, I remember when this first happened, I was working at PNNL and that, that was like the first thing that, that like came up was the fact that they had the data. They just didn't know, like they didn't, they didn't know what to look for and they had too much of it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like anything, we we try to collect, like collect as much data as possible. But you can collect all the data you want, uh, but you have to be able to parse it. And if 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 you're looking at at like I said, things to do, uh, if you can come out with a a really great way to parse a whole bunch of data, um, that would help a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think that from a technical level, that was uh, such a such a big part of that attack um, yeah. from the aftermath was just being able yeah. to collect all the data. But th- that attack in particular is, in my mind, a very different in terms of like how how it impacted society yeah compared to the other three that we have on our list oh, so true. the other three that we have are the solar winds hack yep um, the nso group tools and that whole debacle and log4j and i think of all of those the colonial pipeline was the one that was the most real to to people and it created the most like physically visceral reaction in society yeah but but I think in terms of like actual impact to number of systems, it was probably nowhere close. Right. And and also too, this was like the perfect attack for something to happen and for people to understand uh the importance of our infrastructure without being so critically bad that um it like would affect say the entire United States. This only affected the East Coast. But uh this was probably the perfect attack to get people to listen and to try to make changes, um whether they do or not. Uh but this was the perfect one that like if if you could like maybe maybe things could could be a little bit better, but it was just enough, right, to get people to look and say, hey, um this is something that we really need to, to, to have as an importance. Yeah. Um, and, and now we're seeing a lot of, a lot of supply to focus on supply chain, which is good. And also a pretty good segue into uh, solar winds and log 4 J, right? Yeah. Cause they're both, they're both supply chains in their own ways. One's a, <laughs> one is <laughs> uh, attacking way up the, the chain. The other is more of a dependency that is used everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the focus on dependencies and the focus on supply chain is good. Um, so yeah, like how how much reading, how much background do you have on solar winds in particular? So I don't really have too much on the solar wind stuff, except for the. I I find that the solar wind stuff was entirely predictable. If if you went into any government site. And you looked around at their TVs, they had solar winds. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it didn't it like if you wanted to make an impact on US government infrastructure, go affect solar winds. And mm-hmm. I think that was entirely predictable. And it also sh- sort of shows that the our infrastructure is reliant on tools that are not made. Um, necessarily by the U.S. government itself, and so they're they have to rely on companies to make these tools, which is totally what we need to do. Because uh, if we if we tried to have the U.S. government create tools for themselves, they would be like half baked and not that great. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but um yeah like solar winds i think um was was totally predictable in that that part and we we rely on these tools we have to we have to have tools that we can purchase that do great things that allow you to do you know a aggregation of data and infrastructure type stuff um but um it, it it's relied too heavily on as well it's the superman of uh the superman complex of of infrastructure data aggregation <laughs> yeah um and so i like your way of kind of focusing on impact though because ultimately that makes sense right when yeah you're, when you're planning a when you're when you're planning offensive operations and you're doing your your targeting and going through your targeting cycle like you have your objectives what are you trying to accomplish and you're going to go for the targets that directly give uh, help you accomplish your objective and and that goes back to some of the things that that we've talked about in the past which is understanding you know your critical assets and understanding doing that crown jewels analysis and knowing what your centers of gravity are for your business. Yeah. So I like, I like that way of approaching these, these hacks of 2021 uh, as a, as a framework of, for talking about them. Cause yeah, solar winds. I mean, from my time in the government, every place that I went used solar winds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That makes complete sense. So I, yeah, as a threat, if knowing that, knowing that a lot of the like, you can go out and get unclassified level, unclassified FOUO software documents that define things that are part of weapon systems and part of like the infrastructure for a base, right? So if I can get access to an unclassified network, that FOUO information is going to be there. And then I can basically like cross reference off all of that data what is the software that is most commonly used and use that as my my targeting strategy so solar winds would make sense in that vein and i think yeah given given where now we can kind of transition on to log4j given who reported log4j <laughs> um like that that would be another one of those targeting everything type scenarios right yeah i mean just the whole thing with uh, the Chinese government being upset uh, that uh, that Alibaba disclosed Log4j was uh, in a lot of ways telling. <laughs> um, yeah, and and that's you know that's something that too like the from a from a government perspective like the art of disclosure like in a lot of ways for for a company. If you disclose a security vulnerability, like you know, you disclose a a a, a zero day that you discovered, and it's now a CVE. You disclose that, and you you create a POC for that. Like that's recognition of your security team and the great work that they're doing. But at mm -hmm. the same time, <laughs> uh, what does that burn in some ways? Um, clearly, the U.S. Uh, the the Chinese government was probably using. Uh, log or some type of vulnerability for log4j and got upset <laughs> because it burned yeah. an asset. Burned an asset that probably gave them access to a lot of things. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I, you know, this is a good transition into our last last hack. So we've talked a little bit about solar winds and log4j. I think why NSO was a good selection for your list that you came up here because in my mind on the commercial side, we only ever really see what 
the like the known unknowns are right and very rarely do we get to glimpse those unknown unknowns and and seeing the google project zero write up of the the nso no click iMessage exploit and like how like absurdly convoluted that is yeah uh, it's super fascinating. If you're listening and you have not read about the NSO exploit, Google Project Zero did a fantastic write-up on it. But to summarize it really briefly, they basically could send a GIF to an iMessage, and then they abused the iMessage GIF parsing, like stream parser, and were able to literally use a function to emulate the basics of a computer, like of a CPU, via a GIF and like XORing various fields in the GIF decompression algorithm. Like it's the most ludicrous thing. And 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 that's one of those glimpses into the art of the possible, right? That we rarely get to see on the commercial side. And that w when you're in that spooky behind closed <laughs> doors and you can lock the skiff and talk about capabilities, like that's the type of stuff that's going on. Yeah. And we just don't know about it. And we can't know about it, right? The unknown unknowns. Right. Um, and I think we're not to jump too far ahead. We're gonna see more of that kind of stuff. Uh as as it gets leaked, you have online aggregators like VX Underground. They do a fantastic job of people just dump all the malware samples that they find and the exploits that they find and they aggregate it for us and it's great. Yeah, and and too like the the whole thing about like the un the the spooky attacks um is this will become more prevalent and it will probably affect more people as time goes on um but i also i think too uh no like once it's known it will be so quick to fix in a lot of ways um that we'll we'll end up with with just more stuff right like yeah. we know you know like zero dumb for instance just collects these things and we'll sell them so <laughs> um it's just a matter of time yeah but that's also why we focus on detection and right. and not necessarily trying to find these uh, obtuse esoteric ways <laughs> that get burned so <laughs> to quickly get, get, get access <laughs> to a, a phone uh but in that same vein like we don't have really robust detection mechanisms for phones. Yeah. We don't really have a lot of the endpoint endpoint methodologies and professionalism that exists in modern enterprises on mobile devices. And there's there's not that um nation state level of I, I mean it it probably just goes back to the detection, but then the nation state level of that and understanding what may come as a result so like i think sometimes enterprise can get blinded where they are clearly know the reactionary things that are happening but aren't necessarily looking at okay well you know if if someone has a a zero day for an ios device what does that mean for my company mm -hmm. um maybe some you, of them you do, actually reminded me many. You're, you just reminded me of a of an interesting talk that I saw at CactusCon back in 20... Oh, man, going to show, show age here. 2015 or 2016. The researchers at ASU were basically scraping and aggregating data off um, like 
malware resale sites on the dark web. And what they were doing is creating personas, but also generalized uh, um, generalized data surrounding the types of things people wanted exploits for. And the whole idea was that if they could get ahead of what people were trying to purchase exploits for in terms of software and operating system and, and hardware and so on, you can then start building predictive models of where exploits are going to start coming yeah. in the future and, and incorporate that into your, your defense in depth strategy. So now you have like a predictive model of how they're going to get access or, or what the up and coming most recent access methodologies might be in terms of exploits or, or privilege escalation or whatever. And then you can layer that into your existing detection methodologies. That gives you that extra, extra power up uh, on your ability to detect things that, sh that you probably wouldn't have even known would be coming to begin with. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of too like uh, doing uh, like analysis of phones, uh, like their 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 callback data to like from like say ads to understand what phones are prevalent in a certain area. Then you could understand like oh well, likelihood that you would find uh, vulnerabilities with these particular devices because of that. Interesting stuff. Yeah. And that's only a small sampling of yeah. what came out of the NSO group tools, right? <laughs> you can go, I think uh, a fully a full Pegasus implant is available on VX Underground if you want to like go reverse it or whatever. Yeah, I, I think that out of everything from the, especially the NSO uh, group tool type stuff, like there, I mean, there's been tools that have been released over time uh, from big groups that either are nation state or not or very close to nation state uh, level tools um and i think uh if you're out there you don't really understand or know the capabilities that exist at the nation state level take a good look at nso um and then you can kind of take your wild guesses of what else could be out there based on the level of sophistication yeah uh the good way to think about it is remember nso is just a private company yep and they can do that. Now think of what a nation state can do. <laughs> <laughs> NSO does have budget restrictions and time restrictions yeah. being a private company. Remove that. And uh, um, <laughs> NSO was Israeli, so they, they were probably coming from uh, their, their nation state capabilities uh, department. But <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. They still have restrictions, unlike unlike some uh, nation states that have just blank checks. <laughs> this is true. Now, I think it's a pretty good segue into what we think is going to happen in 2022. Yeah. So we're taking a leaf out of uh, one of the podcasts that I love and I listen to all the time. It's called Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And one thing they do every single year is it's kind of a making fun of uh, psychics and people who are just you know charlatans and frauds. So they like to at the beginning of every year, make predictions of what they think is going to happen in the year. And then they come back in the following January and assess whether or not they were accurate. And they give varying levels of uh, accuracy or or how deep they want to go on this. Some of them are just kind of like wishy-washy, of course it's going to happen. But some of them are like very, very specific. So I thought, I thought that was pretty fun. And I figured we'd try to give that a go. Um, ourselves and see if we could come up with things we think will happen in 2022 that we can come back to in 2023 
and see if we were we're close, completely missed the mark or what. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> All right, Chris, why, why don't you go ahead and go first? All right. Um, so the first thing I had as, as a prediction, so uh, I'm a huge like buff for like world event type stuff and and like understanding um, the geopolitical stuff that goes around every day. Um, I think this that this year um, we will see the uh, Russia Ukraine uh, conflict go into full effect this year. Um, I think it was um, likely postponed because of the Kazakhstan um, uh, unrest that's going on right now. I think the U.S. will end up getting more involved uh, because of Kazakhstan. So I think from a perspective of of the Ukraine, having the unrest happen in Kazakhstan was probably the best thing that could happen for them uh, because it shined more light into the uh, Russia's uh, push towards their influence in other regions. Um, and I think that there was questions asked about what was going on in Kazakhstan from the U.S., um, but I, I do think that we'll see this conflict happen. Um, I remember when it when we first saw the stuff in Crimea, and um, I followed that to a T. Um, even did some cool work when I was in the university to help out the Ukrainian uh, government through NATO, which was interesting work. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think that will happen this year. Um, how big it will be in effect um maybe it will end up being a lot like the crimea where it will just be small groups um but we could see a big bigger uh conflict happen as well i think even for ukraine uh i think that there's that bubble there where uh i think ukraine is is battle hardened and a little tired of of russia (laughs) (laughs) um and you can see it in some of the the uh the generals from Ukraine um, and what they're talking about, it sounds like they're just kind of tired of it. And um, this might be, obviously conflict is is terrible and you don't want that to happen, um, but it probably, it's probably a, the time um, that this will, will end up kicking off this year. Okay, so prediction number one, you think the Russia Ukraine is going to pop off this year? Yep, I think we'll see some awesome cyber stuff from that. <laughs> yeah, well, what what is it called? Uh, 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 Petya, not Petya, Part Three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry to laugh. That's I'm not laughing at that. That's just not. That's not good. That's yeah, yeah. very bad. Yeah. Um. I I think people in the security space know this, but. Uh, Ukraine has some of the best in cyber people. Um, and uh, a lot of them ended up going to Russia um, when Ukraine happened. And so I think uh, we'll see some interesting stuff, um, whether that will be from the Russian side or the Ukrainian side. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, as we talked about predictive models, um, and being able to have aggregators in place, um, that will be a good indication of some of the sophistication um, from both Ukraine and Russia. Yeah. Um, Tipping and queuing, wonder what it'll be. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, 
some of the attacks that come through that. Even without okay. the aggression or conflict that would happen, there's still going to be cyber stuff that will go and play. All right. Um, uh, do you have another prediction? Yeah, my other prediction is that I think we'll see our first large major hack on 5G Telecom this year. Mm. Um, I don't think that... I, I think that the... And I'll, I'll say uh, US 5G Telecom. Um. I think that they're the telecom uh, industry, uh, specifically the big four um, or big three now, um, uh, telecom providers, Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile. Um, I think that they're aware that something uh, could happen. And I think that they are making some steps very slowly. Um, but I don't think that they quite understand the level of sophistication and what people or what what the actual uh attack vectors are i think that there's still a lot of um there's a lot of of that industry that still thinks that it's really comes down to the mobile devices and not necessarily the infrastructure and what uh is the key targets in the infrastructure and so I think uh, this year we'll end up seeing something. I think it will be for the better good, um, just because uh, without without this happening, um, we're, we're less reliant on 5G than we will be in the next few years. Um, if this is going to happen last year, this year um, is the, the key times to do it um, as we move forward uh, and with more reliance on 5G um and 6g uh this will become a a much bigger target yeah uh that unfortunately tracks yeah <laughs> but yeah hope is not a course of action but we can hope socks what do you got yeah so i have three i have two serious ones and then one that man it would be just so cool but 100% won't happen. <laughs> but I'm still going to make it anyways because in the off chance I'm right, I get to be that guy that predicted it. Anyways, uh, so I think, number one, um, in a similar vein to you talking about 5G, I think this year we're going to see a major attack on the U.S. electric grid that's going to end up knocking out power for a significant period of time. Uh, and not sure, you know, I'm not going to talk east-west Texas grid, but it'll be one of them. And... I think we'll see significant legislative reform coming out of that. And that's actually my second one. I think we will see the U.S. legislators passing some form of hackback bill that will authorize uh, companies to basically respond in kind to threats and threat actors that are aggressing against them. And that would give us a way, like as a nation to start hitting back, so to speak, which yeah. would be awesome. And then my number three is uh, just a throwaway, but again, it'd be so cool. I think uh, the first images that we get from the James Webb Space Telescope are going to show us ancient alien civilizations from the dawn of the early years of the universe. We're going full X-Files. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Just show me some Dyson spheres, like something. <laughs> Dyson swarms, I don't care. 
so, so alien spaceships, <laughs> whatever, man. <laughs> so are, are you calling out a specific uh, infrastructure uh, within Texas for your, your electric grid or are you just going to go full beans? Uh, I think it, I, I don't know nearly enough to say which is more locked down than any other. Yeah. Uh, I am nowhere qualified to say that. So I just think there will be something. Yeah. Uh, and I think the impact will be significant to a significant number of people for a period of time. These are predictions. I can yeah. be kind of wishy-washy. I don't have to be accurate. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm all for the hackback stuff. I'm hoping... Uh... I mean, sadly, I think what will end up happening, uh, and I think we, you know, we talked about, we touched on this uh, before the podcast, was that this will likely happen as a result of something big, and then it will just get rushed to the floor. And yeah, sadly, that's probably you know the reactionary measures that end up happening. We've been talking about this for a really long time within the U.S. government, and this should have happened years ago, and the fact that it hasn't um, is kind of uh unfortunate uh but it will be even more unfortunate the way it will end up getting passed which is just because of some reactionary measure to some large attack yeah there was a recent article in i think wired or new york or something uh uh, talking about i think it was a sandia national labs researcher that got fed up and essentially started just like set up his own honeypot that Chinese threat actors eventually got into and X filled information to, and he got remote access and then his access and everything that he had turned into like six or seven different FBI investigations uh, that like his, his one hack back turned into a huge thing for the U S government. Yeah. And I think turning on that faucet and letting like, even if it's just uh, like turning it on a little bit to allow the drip, I mean, I think as soon as we have one or two more of those success stories, like somebody, somebody's cyber defense team gets access to a Russian crime syndicate and then crypto locks them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How great would that be? Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, to your point, you know, I think, you know, we, we talked about this earlier as well, was that this will probably just end up being for enterprise, not necessarily for, yeah. every in, in you know individual within the united states to be able to do hackback um but granted you know other countries um let them go full beans so mm-hmm. um we are at a disadvantage there and yeah it's not necessarily the um it's not you know us being uh, affected by necessarily the smaller individuals from say a russian uh, organization or china uh, trying to do like nation state level hacking it's more of the uh it affects end up this the the small people and small businesses that it ends up affecting and so that's some of the problems that we have as a result of mm-hmm. not being able to do hackback yeah um so yeah um so those are our predictions yeah. for 2022 <laughs> now now let's uh let's kind of grounded a little bit in things that we would like to see that probably should happen that we're not just going to speculate on yeah um and uh 
I guess I'll go first. One of the things that I want to see in 2022 out of companies is more utilization of paved road security approaches, a la what Netflix does. So if you're not familiar, Netflix came up with a concept internally they call paved road security, where essentially they have a team that manages their authentication. They have a team that manages their web application firewalls. And then when they want to bring services online, a new service development team can basically just subscribe to their security, just import their libraries, and they're off to the running. And 15 minutes later, they can have an application in production. And they've offloaded a lot of the intricacies of security to teams that can specialize on it. And the more, in my opinion, the more that companies can adopt those types of strategies and get away from internal software using their own ways to authenticate, their own ways to hook into all the other services that exist in their organization, the better off those organizations will be. Yeah. And this is one that we talk about internally at Prelude is like, how can we start adopting these types of methodologies? We don't have a whole lot of software yet that we, that we need to get online. But the more that we can bake this into our design methodologies up front, the more that we can be not only advocates of an idea we think makes sense, but also uh, the way that we openly talk about our software and the way that we openly share our software, we can start getting some of these approaches out to people um, so they can adopt them and use them in their own organizations. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit on our last podcast as well. Uh, mm -hmm. It's definitely uh, something that needs to be implemented in a lot more companies. And I think something that might help with that is like a, a template sort of a template style, which Netflix has sort of pro provided people um, to yeah. be able to do. So um, so for my my hope uh, or of a security technology uh, that I'd like to see in 2022 or concept uh, to be adopted is, is uh, a change in uh, ICS and SCADA um, manufacturers um, to adopt more secure software development for ICS and SCADA devices. Um, I think companies like Snyder Electric, Siemens, uh, they have a lot that they have to do, uh, but they uh, tend to not focus necessarily uh, too much on the software side and the firmware side. They're more focused on what makes sense for their customer um, and what it can do and less on the security aspect. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, maybe this ends up being a prediction, but I, I, I do think that, um, the U S government will be more forceful with these companies, uh, to adopt secure software. Um, but I, I really hope that these companies end up, uh, doing a lot of the adoption themselves. Um, we get away from writing say firmware in C and start writing firmware in rust. Um, I think that would be a huge step forward uh, for ICS and SCADA. Um, and if the companies don't do it themselves, they'll be forced to do it um, if they want to continue to operate. So I, I, I think yeah. that this year really needs to be the year for these companies to really break out and uh, be like almost like Apple and how they really try to promote um, uh, privacy uh, for better or for worse. <laughs> um <laughs> Until they want to scan your images yeah, on your yeah. phone. <laughs> um, I think that these companies like Snyder and Siemens and and uh, ABB 
they really have to to dig hard into the security and the software uh, software security side, and this is the year to do it. Yeah, it's a, that would be a good thing for yes the the ICS <laughs> SCADA world. ICS no and SCADA will become more of a reliance uh, every single year for us. Um, well, for the entire world, um, and uh, we need we need the security backbone and the security of these things to be uh, pretty spot on. So that's going to do it for our podcast today. We're on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple, and Google podcast. If you use a particular podcasting platform that we're not a part of, please let us know in our discord and we can add overture to it. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing to us. We are planning to do two podcasts a month and we release on Fridays. So thanks for listening. We'll be back on January 28th. Prelude, out.